0: This Torah class is brought to you by torahanytime.com. dot com. So a good Cholish to everyone. Rish Shvat tonight, Tuesday night is Rish Cholish Shvat. So in the Mishnah. When is Rish for Tree Lilanos? Right. When is Rish Cholish Lilanos? holds Rish Shvat, and Beis holds two Bishvat, the fifteenth day of Shvat. So according to Beis Shamai, when Moshiach comes, to hold like Beis Shamai. Today is the celebration of the Rosh Chodesh for Trees. The question is whether it's Tu B'Shvat or Echad bishvat. Why do we celebrate the Rosh Chodesh of Trees? Rosh Hashanah, not Rosh Chodesh. Rosh Hashanah for Trees. Why do we celebrate in the middle of the winter when everything is dead? Right? Everything is dead. What is there to celebrate? We should celebrate this in the spring, Right? You go outside tonight and you say like, HAPPY NEW YEAR! to the trees. They're like, what's happy, man? We're freezing. We got no, we got no leaves. We're frozen. Okay, Baruch Hashem in New York right now it doesn't have any snow, but upstate it has snow on the trees also. So like, B'ch Hashem, why don't we just celebrate it in the summer or in the spring? And the answer is that there's a machlaik, what's the machlaik between Beisil and Beishamai? What are they arguing about? The answer is that they're arguing about when the, the sap the juices come from the ground into the tree, into the esteric tree. And um, <coughs> you're supposed to daven for a good esteric on Tubishvat. That's when are supposed to daven. Because the sap of the esteric tree begins to come into the tree on that day. And that's when we celebrate. Because what do we celebrate? I always talk about this. We celebrate potential. Right? And that's why a wedding, you spend $100,000 on a wedding with a big band and, and, and some ice the whole wedding and food and Today, like, really, they spend a lot of money on the wedding. We don't even know if these guys are going to last a month together, right? So what are you wasting all that money on a wedding for? Who knows? if It's going to work. Maybe it'll work a year or two and they'll get divorced. Who knows? Maybe they will be miserable. So why are you making such a big celebration? Really, celebration should be when? On the 50th anniversary. 50th anniversary, they're married, it went well children, grandchildren, they still love each other they're still talking to each other, if they can hear each other after 50 years being married to each other, right? so that's when you make the party not 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 when they're 19, twenty. who knows what's going to happen and the answer is that we as Jews, we celebrate potential so when you're married 50 years children, grandchildren, pretty much your potential that you had as a young person is there, it happened but when you just get married and you're 20 potential is ahead of you we celebrate potential that's what Clyde is for we celebrate potential so instead of celebrating the tree when it has the flowers and the fruits potential's over what happens after that fall fruit comes up falls off the tree the leaves fall off the tree right so that's the wrong time to celebrate we celebrate when you don't see nothing on the tree and the potential of the tree just started the fruit just started just the sap is beginning to go into the roots of the tree that's when we make Rosh Hashanah for trees. According to Beit Shammai, tonight's Rosh Hashanah for trees. Tonight, Uncle Yaakov, we celebrate potential, potential unlimited, potential unlimited. That's what we're celebrating tonight, and um, that's when a person says "Yalav you have to think about your potential, and um, you got Bats Hashem a lot of life to live and a lot of things to do. So that's that's Rosh uh, Hashanah Leilenuz, which is tonight. So good Rosh to everybody. So. I want to go back for a couple of minutes to um, Pasha's Ba'era. The end of Pasha's V'era, which was last week, this week is Pasha's Bo. And at the end of Pasha's V'era, there was a makka called Barad. And we have two questions on this makka. Question number one. It says that paro, after the Barad was coming down, he sent sent for Moshe I sinned terribly this time this time, not all the other times your God, Hashem is a Tzadik, and me and my Mitzrim are Rishon what happened all of a sudden what happened all of a sudden until now, Yadam, Tzvadeah Kinim, Oro, Dever he never made a comment that I'm wrong and my nation is wrong and you're right and your God is right. What brought him to his knees? More by this mocker than any other mocker. And the answer is because all the other markers was a little bit of a change in nature. Blood, water, frogs, and all these other things. But having two opposites work together that only God can do. So when Paro saw that fire and ice in the hail came down together as one, Paro said, this already is something that's not magic. It's not sorcery. It's not something that I'm going to even try my sorcerers and magicians to do. He said, to take two opposites, that they should work together, that's a godly thing. So by Barad, he realized that I'm, I made a mistake, and, and your God is correct. Now, really, um, I said this by Shavar uh, Brachas, and I said that to to get a, a woman and, and man married, that it should work together, is like fire and water. Because we're very different than them. You take the word Ish, and you take the word Isha, so what two letters do they have the same? An aleph and a shin. The man has the yud, and the woman has the hay. So, really, without the yud hay, without Hashem, without the yud, and without the hay, there's no. There, there's just fire, and they're going to burn each other out. It's not going to work. So you have to put the yud and the hay. You put that into the marriage. So here you have two opposites. You have a man and a woman. You're able to Hashem is able to bring them together with the yud hay, of course. And that's what makes the marriage stick. That's, ma- that, that's what makes it work. That's the godliness. But even on a different level, and the other level is, that really, Barod, right, with fire and water, and they work together. A person's group, a person's body, and a person's neshama, are also opposites. Total opposites. One is made from the earth, and one is made from the heavens. One is from the kisya kavod, and the other, other one is made of duff, afar, dirt. And Hashem takes this soul and he puts it into a human body. And that, that they're able to work together, that they able to put, you know, sort of like a fire in a, in a, in a, in a box and the, the box doesn't burn. So to be able to put it in a shama, into a guf, right? Even the Marami Prague, when he made the golem, right, he was able to make a live human being, but he wasn't able to give it a soul. He couldn't put a soul in a body. Cause they're, they're opposites. They work opposite, they're opposites so so for a soul and a body to work together right, that's ish and mayim to work together that can only be done by God that can only be done by God so that is why they reacted, he reacted in this way, he was like, frogs and blood and pestilence and lice and, and arov and animals and all this stuff I hear it you took animals, you made more animals you took frogs, you made more frogs you took a liquid and you turned it red okay it's not opposites, you know. You took powder and you, you, you took ashes and you, and you made boils, but it's not opposites. Here I saw something I never saw before. You took two opposites and they were actually working together. That's godliness. So a person, when he takes his guf and his neshama and he's able to get them to work together, that's true godliness. There's another question. What about that, uh, that you can make? and will die it's not, it's not opposites there that was a magic disease can make yeah, magic can make people pretty sick Sure, sorcery, black magic sure, they do voodoo they take a needle, they stick it into a doll and you feel it sure they can make you sick but what we were saying over there, that's a disease that's a plague, that's not two opposites here there's actually two opposites, the water and the fire working together, but there's another question and I heard a very beautiful parasite of Fisher and Schulz this Shavas, he said this terrorist, it's really, really unbelievable. He said that, Akash like, is like this, Beinu warned them, and he said the following, he said that there's going to be this Barad, and he said, listen to me, there's going to be a Barad, a hail like there never was in Mitzrayim. He says, and your cattle are going to be outside, and people are going to be outside, he said, and if they're going to be outside in this big, huge rocks of fire and, 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 and ice are going to fall on their heads, it's going to kill them. So he said the following, Those of the servants of Paro who fear God, right? He better take his servants and the animals and bring them into the house. And those who don't listen to and not are not as scared. They can leave they, they, they should leave their servants outside. You see what's going to happen, right? And there were people after he said, Moshe Beno said there's gonna be blood, there was blood. He said there's gonna be frogs, there was frogs, he said there's gonna be lice." there was lice. Every time he warned them about something, it happened. So now he comes and tells them, listen guys, huge fire ice balls going to come flying down from heaven it's going to wipe all the guys that are outside all your horses and all your animals take them inside so like what fool would be like well maybe this won't happen they just hit six to six right a thousand percentage he was right so why wouldn't you take it in so when it comes to being stubborn right Sometimes a person can be told over and, over and over and over and over and over and over, like a gambler, he's like, I lost, I lost, I lost, I lost, but this time I'm gonna win. This time it's not gonna happen. So those are, those are fools. And a lot of the mitzvahim took their animals and their people in. How do we know this? Because they asked Akasha to say, that by the Yamsuf it says, Susfer Rech B'ayom, that the horses all drowned, the Arabs had the Egyptians had horses, and they all drowned in the water. Where did they get horses from? Between Deva, the disease of all the cattle dying, and Barad, where did they get all these horses from? (laughs) So the Medrash says that those horses were from the Mitzrim who took them in by the hail into the barn so that they would not get killed. So Epheser said, I don't understand. If he's a Yarei Hashem, he said all those who fear God should take the animals in, then why would he take the animal and chase the Jews? The same guy who took the animals in because he was scared Hashem was going to send down hail, he took his horses and gave it to the Egyptian army to chase the Jews. If you're a Yare Hashem, then you're a Yare Hashem. Then when they came for the horses, you're like, are you crazy? You want to mess with God? Man, my horse would all be dead if I didn't take him into the... I'm not giving you my horses. You're going to drown. So what happened over here? How come the Egyptians who took the horses in, who were scared of Hashem, let them end up going After the Jews into the Amstav. And he said something that's so very true. He said that Yerath Hashem, fearing Hashem, sometimes, well actually Yerath Hashem means awe. The awe of God. He says, sometimes in your life something happens and you're in the awe of God. Like, wow. But it doesn't stick, it doesn't last. He said, it says that everything is been HaShemayim. Chutz mi hashemayim. He says, for it to last, for it to stick, it has to be a lifelong teaching, a lifelong learning, a life of awe of God, then you will always be in awe of God. You will always fear God. But just every once in a while to say, oh, I don't want to get that disease, so like I'm scared of Hashem, that doesn't work. By the Mitzrim, it wasn't a way of life fearing Hashem. So yes, they saw... Ice and fire, they're like, oh man, we better take the horses in because they're going to die. But that doesn't last. So therefore when they came and said, let's go chase the Jews, they have a lot of money, let's go get back our money, they took the horses because they didn't have that Yereth Hashem of living every single day with the fear of God. It was just a momentary fear and a momentary fear doesn't, doesn't work. So a person who has US HaShem all the time, they talk if they would have US HaShem all the time, they would have never run after the Jews. But because it was just a, wow, like, wow, that's unbelievable. What a miracle. He did a miracle. But a miracle doesn't last. And that's why the same Arabs, the same Egyptians who took these animals and brought them into the barn, ended up taking the animals out of the barn to chase the Jews. And of course we know that they all got wiped out. Okay. There's a lot of which I want to talk a little bit about tonight, in the Chumash, in the Torah, a lot of how to treat another person. And it's very interesting that when it came to Choshech, we'll talk a lot about Choshech, of some interesting Chiduz this week that we'll talk some very deep stuff, Um, that when it came to Choshech, Hashem said the following please talk into the ears of Khaisra. And the Jewish people should go ask the Egyptians to give them clothing and kalim. And of course the Egyptians are going to say, I don't what do you mean? You want my new watch and you want my new ring and you want my new jewelry and you want my new silver cup? And you want and they're going to say, I don't have any jewelry. I I don't have a silver cup. I I don't have a safe in my house. And the Jews are going to go like, no, 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 by Choshech, when it was dark, we went into your house and while you were sitting there and you couldn't move, we fumbled around and your safe is in your closet. Your safe is behind that painting in the living room and your jewelry, the diamond ring that you don't have, is in your second drawer and your silver cup you have hidden in your towel closet. No, it's not where I hide all my stuff. I'm just giving you examples, right? Don't come to my house looking for it. And and um, the Egyptians, they they didn't know what to answer because we knew exactly where everything is. So, the very famous question, I think the Vilna asked the question: Since when were Egyptians our friends? (laughs) But the Torah tells us. Moshabeno talk to all the Jewish people in the air, and the Jews should ask from the Egyptians, but it calls them Reehu, our friends. and the women should all ask from their Egyptian friends. But we didn't have friends, we were slaves. So the Dulagoin says something amazing. The Dulla says <laughs> Moshe Rabbeinu wasn't telling the Jews about the Egyptians he was telling them that if you borrow things from each other and you give each other things and you treat each other like friends then the Egyptians will treat you like friends it's it's been always Charlie Harari talks about this a lot The Jewish nation, what are we doing in this world? I I always tell, you know, everyone says, well, the Jews are better, the Jews are better than the Goyim. Right? There's a lot of people that get up and they say to me, you know, it's a terrible thing that Jewish kids walk around and they're like, I'm better than a Goyim. We're not better than a Goyim. We're different than a Goyim. We're different. You can't say water is better than oil. Water you drink and oil you put on a salad. Right? water and oil are very different, we're different, we have an neshama. they have a nefesh we're different than they are what is their job in the world? their job in the world is the upkeep of the world through the physical world bridges and planes and technology and engineering and all this is the job of all the other nations in the world what's the Jews job in this world? the Jewish nation's job in this world is just like a human body has a liver and a pancreas, and a brain, and an arm, and a foot. And it also has a soul. And as long as it has a soul, it's alive. The soul of the world, the spirituality of the world, is us. If we're not spiritual, the rest of the body is not spiritual. If we're very spiritual, the rest of the body is very spiritual. We are, as Charlie always says, a light to the nations. We're an example. And they want us to be an example. They want the Jewish person on the bus to stand up for the old lady. They want the Jewish person who's in the store to put their phone in their pocket and when they talk to someone, look at them when they talk to the cashier, when they go to the bank. They expect more from us for we are the soul of the world. We are the spirituality of the world. We set the example. So Moshe Rabbeinu, when he whispered to the Jewish ears, he said to them, you should borrow from your re'ehu, from your friends. The, the Egyptians should see that Jews lend everything to each other. If that happens, they will become your re'ehu. They will become your friends. And we know when they left Mitzrayim, they gave them everything. And there's a lot of this, a lot of this, in, 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 in the whole Yetias Mitzrayim, and a lot of, in Adam L'Chavera, which we know, to Hashem is like the most important thing is how we treat each other. And and we the, in, in one of the books in Shmiras Loshen it talks about that David his army did not get along with each other. So many times when they went to fight the Plishtim, thousands of Jews were killed. But there was a very bad king in Klaistral who served all the Abaydazar in the world. Never lost a soldier in all his wars with the Plishtim. Never lost a soldier. Who was who was the king? It wasn't Menashe, Achav, I think. It was Achav. They never spoke, no one spoke Rosh and Hara, and they all got along with each other, so even though they were serving Avodah Zara, not one of them got killed in war. Hashem is very machbit in Ben Adam L'chavera. Which leads me to a story. I, I had Baruch Hashem, I, we celebrated my uncle's, my wife's uncle's <coughs> 90th birthday last night. So you know you're ninety years old, Kanainahara, Usha Blumenfeld, he should live long. And his mama she sits there, he knows Tyra and he talks and he's clear. And so I wanted to say a story about an old person that I saw, an amazing story that I saw last week. And it's about Ben Alma And you're never too old to be Ben Alma So there's this man, and it's it's like Purim Day. So they have like a Purim Spiel in Shul. And all the kids, this man's an old, old man very, very old man, he's sitting in shul he's davening, whatever, he's saying to Hillum. and they're having this Purim spiel, you know, for kids so they have clowns and things it's Purim, you know, for kids so they had a face painter, it's very big right now they paint the the kids' faces especially on Purim when when you're masquerading so all these little boys were online and they would stand there and the guy would paint the face of the kid and then it would be the next kid and this man's sitting there in his corner and he's listening. And one kid says to the other kid on the line, you know, your face is full of freckles. Your redhead is full of freckles. So your face is full of freckles. The man who is doing the painting won't have any room in your face to put any paint. In. So he told a little kid, telling a little kid, you know kids say what they think. And this poor kid with the freckle face, was like, totally broken, and he, he like, almost started to cry, and he put his head down, and he was like, he was online, but he was like, yeah, where are they going to paint my face? I'm full of freckles. This old man got up. He was sitting there, he saw the whole thing. He got up, and he goes over to the little kid, and he says to the little kid, freckles? Freckles are the most beautiful thing in the world, and don't let anyone tell you different. Right? And the kid's looking up like, thank you, you know. He says, can you think, tells the little boy, can you think of anything that's more beautiful than freckles? And this little boy looks at the old man, and he goes, yeah, just one thing. And the old man says, really? What? And he points to the old man's face, and he says, wrinkles. Mm Wrinkles very very deep story because to this little boy this man gave him back his life gave him back who he was he was like whatever I have on my face I'm proud of it now but you have wrinkles those are even more beautiful than what I have because he understood how beautiful this old man was and he cared about this little kid there's a saying wrinkles are, wrinkles are a sign that in, the, in that place you once smiled you know, wrinkles in the eyes, and wrinkles around the mouth. So I, I just, when I heard that story, I was telling it to my uncle last night. I was like, wow, you know, you could be a 90-year-old man, a 90-year-old man sitting in shul, and, 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 and you, could, you could save a kid's life. I mean, that kid would have walked away, probably would not have gotten his face painted. For the rest of his life, he'd look in the mirror and say, ugh, look at those, those freckles that I have. There's no, there's no age, until you're not in this world anymore, there's no age that you can't have been el Havera. There's no such age that you can't be for someone else. Which brings me to a crazy story that I saw in Chicken Soup for the Soul. Crazy, crazy story. I have to read it to you from inside. It's called Together We Can Make It. This is amazing. And in my next book on Akarasatov, I will definitely bring down this story. This is the, the most unbelievable story about HaKarasa Tov and how it works in this world. So this, I'm going to read you the story. It's a true story. Everything that's written in this book is always, they, they check out like 20 times, 200 times actually, to make sure that it's true. So I wanted to read you the story. Bob Butler lost his legs in a 1965 landmine explosion in Vietnam. He returned home a war hero. 21 year, 20 years later, he proved once again that heroism comes from the heart. Butler was working in his garage in a small town in Arizona on a hot summer day, when he heard a woman scream coming from the nearby house. He rolled his wheelchair toward the house, but the dense shrubbery would not allow him access to the back door. So the veteran got out of his chair and crawled on the floor, because he had no legs, through the dirt and the bushes. I had to get there, he says. It didn't matter how much it hurt. When Butler arrived at the house, he traced the screams to the pool where a three-year-old girl was lying at the bottom. She had been born without arms and had fallen into the water off her wheelchair and could not swim. Her mother stood over her baby screaming frantically. Butler dove to the bottom of the pool and brought the little Stephanie up, it's a true story, to the deck. Her face was blue. She had no pulse and she was not breathing. Butler immediately went to work performing CPR to revive her while Stephanie's mother telephoned the fire department. She was told that the paramedics were already on the call. Helplessly, she sobbed and hugged Butler's shoulder. As Butler continued with his CPR, he calmly reassured Stephanie's mother. Don't worry, he said. I was her arms to get her out of the pool. It'll be okay. I am now her lungs. Together, we will breathe. Seconds later, the little girl coughed, regained consciousness and began to cry. As they hugged and rejoiced together, the mother asked Butler, how did you know that it would be okay? And this is what Mr. Butler said. When my legs were blown off in Vietnam, I was all alone in a field. No one was there to help me, except a little Vietnamese girl. As she struggled to drag me into her village, she whispered in broken English, It's okay, you can live, I'll be your legs. Together, we can make it. This was my chance, he told Stephanie's mother, to return the favor. What an unbelievable story. What's the story saying? So here's a guy who lost his legs in Vietnam and some little girl that he never ever saw again pulled him out of this minefield to safety. when, When someone does something for you, you have this urge and need, if you're an appreciative person, to give back. He knew that if he had a chance to give back and pull this girl out of the pool, there's no way that he won't be able to bring her back to life. Because if it's mida kinegen mida that a girl saved him, and now he's getting a chance to save a girl, and it's Hakar hatov that he crawled on the floor, right, to do this, it's impossible that she won't come out alive. And, and I, I think I told this to you last week. I'm not sure if I told this to you last week. That there's, there's, there's a Gemara. And the Gemara, I think I did tell it to you last week. The Gemara says that there was a story with this girl, this man who was digging d- irrigation ditches for the people who were coming down to Eretz for the Sholosh Shrigalim. So he was digging irrigation ditches that they would have something to drink. They were traveling, all this. And one day, somebody walked, ran into the house and said, your daughter just drowned. She just fell into one of the irrigation ditches and she died. And I don't know who was sitting there, Atano exactly, I don't remember the Gemara exactly, and somebody that was sitting there, maybe it was Atano, and he said, it was Hilla, it was Hilla, I'm not sure who he said, he said, she's alive. And the guy said, no, she drowned. And he said, no, she's alive. That night, she comes walking, she comes walking into the house, all wet. And I say, what happened? She said, I fell into this hole. I couldn't come back out the hole, so I swam along the irrigation ditch and it came out all the way on the other side, like in another country, like way far away. But Baruch Hashem, I, I, I came back, I'm alive. So they went to the throb and they said, Ah, Rukha Kodesh! Everyone said she was dead, and you knew she was alive! And he said, No. It's not Rukha Kodesh. It's impossible that she should drown in the well that her father dug to help others. So I knew. That even though nobody could find her, it's impossible. If someone does something good that, even the good that he's doing, that the person that, from his family should be hurt, that's impossible. It tells another story where someone else that was digging irrigation dishes and, and, and they came back and they said she, she drowned in the ocean and he didn't say anything, he didn't say that it didn't happen and Kafka, they found the body and she was, to died and they said, my high, what's the difference between the two? And he said, because he did things with water didn't mean that she couldn't die with water. But the thing that he dug itself, could not kill, could never kill the the, 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 the the person, a family member of the person who dug that well. That's a a That's a a, a point. I don't we would point at So this guy said, "How could you die? A girl saved me, and now I have a chance to save a girl." There's no way. I'm going to keep giving her CPR, and I'm going to be her lungs, right? Like this girl was her leg, his legs, and and, and he talk, he talk about, It's a true story, and he talked, and he talk about her back. This, this, the the, 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 this week's, the Parshas over here, very, very mockery. That Kush was very marked on, 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 on Hakar and very mockery on, on Beit Adam Okay, so I want to learn some, what are we holding? 15 minutes, okay. I want to learn some, some very deep Chidah, um, on this week's, on this week's Parsha. So we really think that we know what's going on. Well, we really have no idea what's going on. So let me tell you what was really going on over here. Listen carefully. Paro was a Gilgal of the Nachash, of the snake. Okay? And he was going after, of course, he was going after Moshe Abenu, he was going after Klai Israel, the snake. And he says, if you take the word paro, right? Pei, resh, ayin, hey, so it's 200 and... resh is 200, ayin is 70, and pay is 80, so it's 200 and... 75, right? Paro is 200 and... No, 255. Again. Pei is 80. Ayin is 70. Is 80 and 70 is 150, right? Plus 200... It's three-fifty and five. Three-fifty-five. Correct? Three-fifty-five. Okay. Okay. If you take the word (laughs) Nachash, it's three-fifty-eight. Nachash is nun, Mm -hmm. is fifty, ches is eight, and shin is... Shin is... Right, there's three difference, right. So he says that paro... The three words "paro mitrayim, So it's three. It's, it equals. It equals. What's it called? It equals nachash. Now, what was the nachash? What did he cause to Chava? What was the punishment that Chava got? It's unbelievable. Because in this week's parsha, "bo el paro." By the way, "bo" equals three. So Bo with Paro equals Nachash. Right? Bo El Paro says the Chida. So if you look at the punishment that he caused by what he did, let's read it from inside. of It says, it says, Hashem punished the Chava. Eloi Hashem said to the woman, Harba! Look at this pasuk. You have to see this pasuk Zion in Perigimel and Bereshis. It says the Chidda the was punishing who was paral because everything that God does, this, you got to jump out of your seat when you hear this. Everything <coughs> that God does is what Mida me Mida, right? So the and in Pasuk Zion and Bereshis in the beginning of the world, Elisha Amah Hashem said to the woman Harba. Arbe, it's Very, very much will be your pain. And your pregnancy. When it comes to having children. What was the woman's punishment? Harba arbe, there will be many locusts. Harba arbe, spells arbe. So in this week's parasha, not to not be many locusts to her, the punishment to para, because Paro was the nachash and he caused. Right, that the woman would have a lot of pain, and the word for a lot of pain is arba. Hakadosh Baruch Hu waited and waited till he came back as paro in parashas bo. And Hashem said to Moshe Rabbeinu, "You're going to take revenge, bo. If you take the chidah says bo, and you add the word bo el paro to the word paro, you get nach. You get nachash. And what does Hashem say? What's going to be your punishment? And he may be mocha arbev vulecha. I'm going to give you me the connective that you caused arbe. It's for next to the woman. So bo el paro, bo beis aleph. Come to paro, bring bo to the power to the nachash, and punish the nachash back for what he did to to chava, which is the word arbe. The same word. That's, what, that's just the beginning. Now he says the following. I have to read this inside. Okay, so he says that remez paro, bo gimel. In place of gimel of paro, if you're <Hebrew> going to take three and add it to paro, who gematria nachash? So he became it equals the gematria of nachash. The din who shiyake and the din is he has to be punished the b'makas arbe because that's what he caused. The woman fine. He goes on. And he says the following, but paro wasn't only the gilgul of the nachash. He was also the gilgul of Cain. Moshe and Moshe Rabbeinu says the Chiddo was the gilgul of Hevel. And therefore, since Cain killed Hevel, Paro was going to kill Moshe. He was going to do it all over again. As we know, when a gilgul comes back, you have to fix. You have to do. You know. So he was going to kill him. And he said, Paro said it's the chidah, I will kill you again, Moshe. Do you know why? Because my name, Paro, which equals again, how much does Paro equal? 355, is 10 more than your name. Moshe, Hey, equals 345. He said, and where did I get the extra 10? So if you look back in Bereshus, where, where, where Kain killed Havel, it says, that Hashem gave Kayan an ice, he gave him a letter what was that letter? a yud he said I have the special sign that Hashem gave which was the letter yud and with these ten I will destroy you Moshe and Hashem flipped it HaShem took the Yud. Instead of it giving Cain an extra 10, he said, I'm going to give you an extra 10. But the extra 10 that you're going to get is 10 Makis. There's a Medrash. I saw this Medrash. I think the Zohar also brings it down. Ha- how did Cain kill Hevel? He bit him. Ten times. He managed to bit him ten times because he didn't know how to kill. Nobody was ever killed. So he actually bit him, the Sheikha. He he bit him ten times. So it says here, for the ten times that he bit he he he, he bit Havel, because Bauchu paid him back now that he should get the ten machas. Okay. Then he goes on, he says the following. He says it says <laughs> Hashem said in order that I will put my ois amongst you which was the ois the ois was the ois of Cain, the letter of Kyan, which was the Yud which Hashem gave him ten makos for so it makes it makes Perfect sense what the Pasak saying. What's this My letter. What's your letter? The letter is Bakir. Well, I'm going to put it in him. Ale, which is 36, is the gematria of Hevel, because again, don't forget we say gematria can be one off. Hevel equals 37. Hey lamid, right? Ale equals Hevel. So who said that eight, these macras that you're getting, right? These maqas, Eli B'Kirboi, is the mock of Hevel because of what you did to Hevel, therefore you're going to be punished. Okay. So what was going on here again in the Torah, which we always learn from the Chidah, is that what you see is not really what's going on. This was actually a war between the Nachash, between Kayim, between, between Moshe Abenu, who was Hevel also. He's saying he didn't know how to kill. He never killed animals. He never knew how to kill so there's a medrash that said he saw an animal he he didn't know how to kill but he saw an animal that was dead bury an animal bury its mate that was dead so he didn't know how to bury him either he didn't know how to bury him he he never saw any death he never saw death before in his life so he did not kill animals back then? no no the world just started no that came after Noah they weren't allowed to kill animals after Noah so he never saw death there's a whole medrash that he bit him to death he didn't know what he was doing but that's how he killed him so, so here he got back, for the, for those ten bites, he got back the, um, the, what's it called. Now, there's also a very interesting Chidor, which I never saw before in my life. And he says, where it says here in this, this week's Pasha, it talks about Etias Mitzrayim, Pesach, right? You should tell your, you, you should tell your children. He says like this, I never saw this before. He says the following. He says, because Hashem has a lot of pity and, and, and he, has, he, he has a lot of rachamim. B'chol shana every single year, shleishim yom k'edul pesach thirty days before Pesach. That means Rishchodesh. Uh, that means the fifty. Uh, two, uh, that means Purim, right? The day of Purim, which is thirty days before Pesach. Matchil lo the nefashas Yisroel mehechos maat. Hashem starts to take souls in the other world, right? He starts to take him from the, the the chambers of, of Tummah. Shabeleo Bil Chamech, in the night that we do Bir Chamech. All the souls that sinned are standing on the outside of the antechamber of the Shari Tummah. Shir Chalak Echad, Mishir HaKamashay, Nichlastimuel Shleshim, the Echad Pesach, Ubeleo Pesach, Hashem makes them kulam cool ben echayrim. He makes them ben He makes them free. And he goes into a whole thing, I don't, I'm not going to go into a whole, a whole, a whole kab- kab- Kabbalistic thing, on a that on Pesach God goes in and he takes many souls out of the, out of the, the place that is, that is, that is coming. But 30 days before he begins to remove the Jewish souls from the Hechel Atoma. Okay. Let's go to Choshech. And I, 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 saw, I can't find it, but I think it's in Desire. I don't want to really repeat it. But it talks about the times of Mashiach. It says, they'll tell you what the Chidor says about the times of Mashiach. It says, So it was dark, and we know three days they couldn't get out of their chairs. Three days it was a normal darkness. The reason God brought the mark of darkness, is that four-fifths of the Jews who did not want to go out, who did not believe, who were comfortable at home, who didn't want to have a ge'ulah, you know, they wanted to enjoy what they had. So, Hashem didn't want the midstream to see those Jews die. So four-fifths of the Jewish nation, pretty, it's a pretty big tragedy. Because if four-fifths of the Jewish nation died, there were 600,000 men left, that means that there were 3 million Jews. That so, I means that 2,400,000 Jews died in the Choshech. You gotta be families and cousins and uncles. They lost, they lost a lot more Jews died in Mitzrayim than came out of Mitzrayim. And this is very scary. And the Gedah says, the and therefore, HaMashiach, when Mashiach will come, Ye there will be complete darkness, Tesvav Yomim for 15 days in the world there will be complete darkness and the Rishon the Jewish Rishon the Jewish people who are wicked will die She'enu who are not interested in being redeemed Zayar HaKadosh and Pasha now I think I saw this I don't really want to say it because I'm not sure but I thought I saw that it says in the Zayar but the same thing that happened in Mitzrayim is going to happen when Mashiach comes. That only one fifth of the Jewish nation is going to come out alive. And as scary as this might sound, right now, I believe that one fifth of the Jewish nation is Orthodox. Four fifths of the Jewish nation is assimilating. Exactly what the exactly what the what the Zaire said would happen. Our job is to make sure. Because it says the chamushim Alu Yisrael. Hamushim was only one-fifth of Klai yisrael. I don't feel that's a success. If we make it, if one-fifth of Klai yisrael makes it and a four-fifth die, we're not successful. Our success is to make sure that when Mashiach comes, that all the Jews make it. Not just one-fifth of the Jews. But the assimilation rate is what? You know the assimilation rate right now? It's 80%. That means 40% four-fifths of the Jewish nation is assimilating. Exactly what happened in Mitzrayim. Exactly the same thing that happened in Mitzrayim. Four-fifths of Klai Shroel was assimilating, and they didn't want any part of leaving Mitzrayim and going to Israel and getting the Torah. And there's four-fifths of our nation right now that's assimilating and doesn't want any part of Judaism. Exactly what happened in Mitzrayim is happening now. Our job is to try to stop that and turn that 80% around. That's really our job. But he, this is what he says. This is what he says. But I thought our generation is like more Jewish people are becoming more religious. The religious are becoming more religious, but the irreligious are totally, they don't even know. They, they marry Goyim. They don't even know what they're doing. They, don't, they, don't, they, they have no idea who they are or what they are we live in this little Brooklyn area and we live in this little closed thing. If you go out, I mean, I have to tell you something really sad. I went had a very big business meeting with a very big company about three months ago. And it was the first time I met the buyer. We were selling them bags. Very big chain. They have 800 stores. To get that meeting took me a long time. This Italian woman is sitting across from me. She's the buyer. So, you know, Italians and Jews, we have like family, we're very family conscious. So, you know, when, you, when you're trying to sell, you start talking. You know that? So she says to me, you know, see so you guys are wearing yarmulkes. Like, I know a lot about Judaism. She's totally Italian. She has a totally Italian name. I'm like, how do you know anything about Judaism? She goes, my brother's married to a Jew. My uncle's married to a Jew. Um, I have two nephews that are married to Jews. She's totally Italian Catholic. And I'm, I'm sitting there with, who was I sitting there with? My brother-in-law. We're both sitting there and I'm like, oh my God. She just like mentioned, like everyone in her family who are not Jews are married to Jews. She shows I know Hanukkah, we know I know matzo Balls, I know <laughs> Passover. She goes, you know, and I'm supposed to be happy about this. And I'm just listening to this. And like her uncle and her nephews and her cousins and everyone's married to a Jew. And they're Catholic. We don't understand what's going on outside our little circle over here. Crazy, 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 crazy assimilation. Our job and in our in our generation is that when Mashiach comes, that we save the other four-fifths. Not like what happened to Kosha. we got to go out there and, and save our fellow Jews and bring them into the fold and bring them into Shabbos and to Kashris and to everything else. But, but, we don't want to bring them in, and I just told this to someone, you don't want to, you don't want to go out and make bali balichubas, right? And they're all excited about Judaism. And then they come to shul and us Orthodox guys are busy on our phones in shul. You don't. You don't want to bring the outside people to an inside that's sick and not well. So the first thing we need to do is we need to get well, so that when we bring them into shul, we're not talking. We're not talking lashon hara in the doctor's office when they walk in and they're like, "Oh, Jews are like I just became religious, like Orthodox, like they're on a much higher level." And then everyone in the everyone's talking about everyone in the doctor's office, or they're saying like, you know. Whatever, I don't want to even repeat it. Because I want to talk Lashanar and So, so, we, we, we are the light to the nations, but we're also the light to our nation. We have to set an example to our nation what it means to have respect and honesty in business, and respect to our wives, and, and respect outside, because they're all looking at us. In, in, the Bill Nagoyan said, in order to get the Egyptians to give you things, You have to give other Jews things. And if they see you doing that, then they will want to follow. But if you don't do that, they're definitely not going to do that. So assimilation, if we are the one, you want to be part of our team, right? If you want to be part of our team, then you're going to not jump off the the boat so fast. So that's our responsibility to answer to Hashem. We don't want to lose four-fifths in the darkness. The she says 15 days of darkness. I try to figure out an eclipse, what does that mean? It means the whole world is going to be dark, no sun, in 15 days. What, how is that going to happen? An eclipse, an asteroid, sun, Sun? Sun? you know, sun flares, I don't know, what? Nuclear fallout. Nuclear fallout, we're hoping that that won't happen. But that also brings darkness, 100%, 100%. But it says that when Mashiach comes, there's two ways. One way is out of Mesimcha, without, without much destruction. And the other way is with much destruction. Fifteen days. Again, the yamim, There will be darkness for fifteen days. It doesn't say the ones who will die who don't keep Shabbos. It doesn't say the ones who die who don't eat kosher. Because a lot of Jews don't even know anything about that. He says, the ones that will die are the ones who don't want the redemption. They like it the way it is. Take us back to Mitzrayim. We like the watermelon, and we like the pickles, and we like the cucumbers. Those are the ones that are not going to make it. But you know what? It's very nice, Mashiach. But a Mashiach, there's not going to be a Super Bowl when Mashiach's here here. There's not going to be the New York Yankees. And, and if everyone, everyone's going to have the same thing. I'm not going to have a bigger house than the next guy. And they may not even have cars anymore. And the iPhone 6. Not gonna be here! What are we gonna do? You know what, Mashiach waits, you know, a couple of years. Those people are not gonna make it. Now, why are you supposed to want Mashiach? Everybody thinks we want Mashiach. Just spoke about it today in the school. It says that you're an apikoi race. Okay? An apikoi race. If you want Mashiach because well, when Moshiach comes, everyone I'm going to see all my grandparents and everyone who died. So I want to see them all. Or or I know someone who's sick, but Moshiach comes, there's no sickness in the world. No sickness in the world, and I don't have any money. And all those rich guys I hear about all the time, Moshiach comes, we're all going to be equal. You're an api it says. There's only one reason you're supposed to want Moshiach. And that's to take the Shechina out of galus. That God should no longer be in gullets where people hate Him, people don't believe in Him. The only reason is Hashem echad u'shma echad. You wait, everybody in this world. When Mashiach comes, you're going to see all you atheists and all you bad mouth bad mouth God and bad mouth creation and and, and and say that the world just had an explosion. All, all that stuff. You will be revealed that Hashem echad u'shma echad. That is the only. Reason you're supposed to want Moshiach. Otherwise, it says you're an apikores to take the Shechina, who's never such such gullus, watching its children suffer, watching its Torah being ripped apart, just watching the the whole world and the tumah, the tummy, and the tumah of the world. How much does the word Tameh equal? Anyone know what? Test is 9, Mem is 40, and Aleph is 1. The word Tameh equals 50. Hashem knew, says the Chida, that if we ever hit the 50th level in Mitzrayim, we would never ever get out. Because the way it works is... We had 49, if you have 49 levels of Kedusha, and there's 49 levels of Tumah, even Moshe Rabbeinu did not understand the 50th level of of, Ta, of, of of Kedusha. And Hashem said if they fall into the 50th level of Tumah, which is Tameh, Tamei equals 50, Moshe Rabbeinu doesn't have the power to pull them out, because he only had 49. But it says that in the times of Moshiach, and I sort of say for them that, that there's a connection between Moshe and Mashiach I don't understand it Moshe is Shevet Levi and Mashiach is Shevet Yehuda but I saw in a Sefer I saw in a Zayar actually that says that Moshe is Mashiach I don't know what that means how can Moshe be Mashiach he's Levi that's Yehuda I don't know exactly but it says that when Mashiach comes that even if we're what? what? maybe Abram Freed knew what he was talking about Abram Freed. yeah what did he say? my okay I think that was what's his name? I don't know if that was... That was Monachem and David. That was Monachem and David. But okay, it doesn't make a difference who it was. But the, but we're not talking about a song right now. And it says... Beautiful. It says... When Mushia comes... Even if we're in the 50th level of Tomah... Which is Tomei, which probably we are in. Right? we'll be able to come out of it. We'll be able to come out of it. So they asked the Kasha, and Mitzrayim, it says you hit the 50th, you couldn't come out of it. And now, in the times in our times, even if we hit the 50th level of Tumul, we could come out. So they ask, why? And the answer is, because Mitzrayim was before Matan Torah. With Matan Torah, after we got the Torah, even if we hit the 50th level, the Torah is the 50th level of Kedusha. So the Torah which can't become Tomei, cannot become Tomei, the Torah has the ability to take us out of the lowest, 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 lowest level. Even in our time, where we might be in the 50th level, the Torah has the Koyach to take us out. And he says, it's, it's unbelievable, he says that on the 13th day of Adar, this Choshech happened in Mitzrayim, on the 13th day of Adar, and a lot of Jews died, four-fifths died. And Haman, who was, right, Amalek, who was the Nachash, Paral was the Nachash, he knew that four-fifths of the Jewish nation died on Yud-Gimel Adar. So therefore, Haman came out with Zerah when he saw that the lottery came out on Yud-Gimel Adar. Oh, Perfect. Once before, four fifty, many Jews died. Now it's going to work. He says. Therefore, we fast on Yud Gimel Adar. So he says that's the reason that we fast because they died in that, on that day. Okay. So I want to end. where oh, he says the whole word on on Tameh was unbelievable. Whole, the whole Tomei was fifty. <laughs> Well, Uncle Jacob, what are you saying? We don't have Kamishim Sharabinah, but we have the Torah, and the Torah will talk and take us out. So I just want to tell you something that happened today. So today, Baruch Hashem, Baruch Hashem, I had this chus of going to Lakewood, and um, I gave out 3,000 books. Not this book, but the other book, The Sefer is the that we, that I created that where you write, I should have brought it in from the car, that you write every single day, I told you gratitude. So they were selling, we were selling it. We decided, somebody came along and said, Wallstein, you gotta change the generation. I'm like, I know, but it's 30 bucks a book. He said, you know, that's the retail that we were selling it for. He said, I want you to give these books out to little kids. I want them to start to learn how to appreciate, how to show gratitude. So I went to Lakewood today and I gave out three thousand of these books for every single kid. They were all girls from the ages from fifth grade till eighth grade. And spoke to them, I gave them a whole shear on gratitude and, and what it means. Hakar Satov Hakar Satov doesn't mean gratitude. Gratitude, how do you say thank you? Todaraba. It's called Todaraba. But it's not called Todaraba, it's called Akar Satov. What's Akarasatov? Akar Satov means recognizing the good. Now you don't you know I like pizza. If you put a nice slice of pizza with extra cheese in front of me, well, I don't got to be no Mashiach or genius or Tzaddik to recognize the good. That's a good slice of pizza. So what does that mean to recognize the good? That means that when something doesn't look good, to have the ability to recognize always the good in everything. Hakaras hatov. Recognizing the good. Not thank you, but recognizing the good. So I explained to the girls today that what is the most beautiful flower in the world? What's the most beautiful flower in the world? A rose. A rose. How do you know that? Glasses. What? Glasses. And where do we know it from? Uh, Shir It says, Shershanim benachot Right? So when, 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 when Shlomo Melach is trying to, to show us the most, Klaish rose, the most beautiful flower, you know, they use the rose. And we talked about last week that there's thorns. And, the, the, you know, some people look at it, why did God make a beautiful flower with thorns? that's terrible and the other people are like it's amazing why did God make thorns with a beautiful flower that's amazing so some people look at a rose and they see wow a flower ugh look at those thorns and the other people looked at a rose and says, wow look at those look at those thorns but wow on top Hashem made a flower so it was very interesting one of the schools I said girls what do you think why do you think Hashem made thorns tulips don't have thorns gladiolas don't have thorns carnations don't have thorns the only flower that has thorns is a rose Come on, God, you already made it beautiful. What do I, 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 am gonna pick him, I'm gonna, I'm gonna cut myself. There's a guy in Avenue in that does my, the flowers. You ever walk in there, he's got band-aids, like 15 band-aids on his hands. Right? cause he put, he pushes, he takes off the thorns. So he's got like, he's all punctured up, his whole hands are punctured. Every Friday he's got like 20 band-aids on his hands, right? So, and then sometimes I'm like, take him off, cause sometimes I take him home and I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, I'm taking a blood test. I didn't want to take a blood test, but I'm taking a blood test. What's going on over there? So, so, Why does Hashem do that? So I asked. I asked with seven hundred girls in the room. Like, so why do you think Hashem made thorns? This little teeny, like sixth grader says, I know. I'm like, oh, here she's gonna blow my whole shear. She goes, because Hashem wanted to protect his most beautiful flower. (laughs) Bang! I in Muncie used to plant flowers and vegetables. And every single year, I would do it in the spring, and every single year the chipmunks and the rabbits and the squirrels would come and a couple of cats and they would eat all my flowers and they would eat all my vegetables. I was like feeding the animals, right? Once in a while I'd find a tomato that they didn't hop, or a cucumber they didn't hop. But the only flowers they never got was our rose bush. Never ever did any animal ever eat I have a rose bush in front of my house here in Flatbush. No one ever, why? Because there's thorns on it. Hashem said, the most beautiful flower has to be protected. Mm-hmm. So Shlomo Melech, when he called us a rose, what he's saying is that Christ is the most beautiful flower, but they're also, they have thorns. Don't mess with them. You mess with them, you're gonna get hurt. Roman Empire, goodbye. Greek Empire, have a nice day. Persian Empire, see you later. Whoever messed with us was gone, because we have thorns. Because we're the most beautiful flower. So Hashem protected us. This little girl says, Hashem protected his most beautiful flower by putting thorns in tulip. He didn't have to protect, it. it's not that nice. It is nice, but it's not that nice. So I said, that's a karasatov. To be able to look at a flower and understand a rose with thorns and say, Wow. Hashem created thorns and then he decided to put a beautiful flower on top. That's the godless of a person whose whole life sees for good, he has a you, he sees the good, and I told you last week about Abraham Lincoln right, that Abraham Lincoln, his whole thing about, I, I cried because I, I, had no, I had no shoes until I met a man who had no feet which to me didn't make any sense, so why did you stop crying, you still don't have shoes so you don't have shoes, you're sitting there in the street, your feet are freezing and this guy rolls, rolls by on a, on a wheelchair, and he has no feet, and you're like oh, now my feet are warm didn't change anything right, what are you so happy about and the answer is, potential that guy will never have shoes. I don't have shoes right now, but I have feet, so I will one day have shoes. So what am I crying about? That guy, he should be crying because he will never have shoes. That's the godless of Akarsatov. The godless of Akarsatov is seeing potential, is recognizing the good, recognizing the potential. And every single person in this room, and every single person listening to this share has potential. And that's why there's no reason to cry. Because at the end of the day, Christ's as a nation has potential. Parshas, you know, Shmos, Ve'er, Bo, and then we're all of a sudden we're out of there, and we're in the Kriyas, and we're in, in Beshalach, right? It moves, it moves, it moves, it moves, and it moves very, very fast. This week's parsha is about Pesach. This week's Pasha Bo, is a very, very, very big, very holy, holy parsha. So we're going into Rishchodesh, We're going tonight. to Chodesh Shvat, according to Be'i it's Rosh Hashanah for the trees. When you walk out of the Shirt tonight, you look at those trees, and you're like, you look miserable. Go outside there on, on, on the street over here, right, on East 15th, and you walk up to the tree and you're like, Happy New Year! According to Beishamai, you really don't look well. But I know that something's going on. You look dead. You don't got no leaves. You got no flowers. You look very dead. But according to Be'i Shamai, in those little roots, there's something going on. There's sap. There's sap coming in, energy, warmth coming into those roots. And that's a reason to be happy. That even in the most dead of winter, which is now, the middle of January, in the dead of winter, we can celebrate Tu And, and Tu B'Shvat, which is coming up in two weeks, right? So you have all those fruits. Where did those fruits come from, guys? It came from the tree that was dead last year. You have all those fruits, my, our, our menu was to have fifteen fruits on two, on two Bishvat. Shema Eretz Yisrael. Right? Our minute was to have two, two, 15 fruits. And, and, and the godless of is that, that, that orange, and that apple, and that prune, and that apricot, last year, it came from that tree, that when I celebrated two Bishvat, was dead! And now, I'm eating the fruit! That's the lesson. That's the lesson. When you're eating the fruit already, the potential is over. You're eating the fruit, the fruit's this, done. The the godless, you make a bracha. Sure you make a bracha. But the but the godless of it is that when you walk outside and it looks so dreary, and I think that the people who are good rabbayim and the and and the people that help other people the people that help a kid with cancer and autistic kids and a Down syndrome kid and, and a person who's going through problems in, 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 in Parnassus and help people all together and, and do care. Those are people who understand that sometimes the tree looks dead, but really there's a lot of life going on inside. And they don't judge. I can't tell you how many kids, just, just tonight I was at the wedding of one of my girls, who when I saw her the first time, she looked like one of those trees. No leaves, no blossoms, dead, no, no potential, totally n- not happening. And tonight, she got married. So, Watson, why do you even start talking to her? And the answer is, you can't fool me, Tree. You're not dead. You're sleeping, your leaves are off, but there is something moving underneath. That's the godless, that's the hakaras hatov. In a different sense, being able to recognize. That there is something good going on. So when I finished giving out the books today and I finished speaking in the five schools, actually not before I finished, when I finished the third school, I said, you know what? Why today did I go to Lakewood? Why today? They've been asking me to come and do this for months. And I couldn't do it. I didn't have time. And then I'm going I'm going away. I'm saying, like, I'm gonna come back to Ertzistral in two weeks. I'll do it after I go to Ertchistral. And they kept bothering. Them. I'm like, you know what? I'm going Tuesday, today. I went today. So, before I went into the third school, I had 15 minutes. I said, you know what? I promise. It's a true story. Let me look at my book. What's today's lesson? Today is Choftes Teves. So, let me look in the book. I don't remember. I'm not the one who set up what day was written, how it was written. He did that, Rabbi Finkelman he put every single day of the month he put in, what we wrote things and he put it, I'd have nothing to do with the connection of the dates so I'm sitting in my car and I'm like, okay, let's check it out the 29th of Teves now there are only, in this whole book three stories about me I wrote, a, I wrote stuff, but not about me so I opened up this book and I'm trying to figure out why am I in Lakewood today so I'm just trying to tell you about the lesson I opened it up, this is what the lesson says Lesson 119, page 254, for all those who have this book, and for all those who do not have this book, why don't you have this book? <laughs> you should be buying this book. This is my book, and it's very important to read. So, this is what it says. Our sages institute that each time we take care of our bodily needs, we wash our hands and say our shayotza. Rabbi Zachary Wallerstein related. And it happens to be that this he he wrote on this day, because one of my tapes that he heard was on this day. I spoke about today. I don't remember what happened on Choftez, but it's here. And it says the following. Rabbi Wallenstein related, we recite Ashi a few times a day, year after year. Recently I gained a new, I'm writing this, a new appreciation of this bracha, in which it says that we would not survive if openings of the body were shut or if shut parts of the body would open. It was a Friday morning when I awoke in terrible pain. My stomach significantly bloated. I was admitted to the hospital emergency room where it was discovered that I had intestinal blockage. This was preventing the food in my stomach from going through the digestive tract and that was the reason for my excruciating pain. This is two years ago. Things today. They inserted a tube into my nose, down my throat, and into my stomach, and slowly suctioned the food out of my stomach. This took till late Shabbos afternoon. I, I will never forget this. A tube down my nose, down my throat. It was so bad, I can't, I, whatever. You can imagine how terribly uncomfortable I was the entire time. During these two difficult days when I was in so much pain, I asked the doctors for morphine or some other pain, powerful painkiller. But my request was denied. My mama suffered. They wouldn't give me Tylenol. Nothing. Why? They explained to me that though we don't feel that there is a constant, no, that though we humans don't feel there is a constant movement in the digestive system that allows for the passage of food through the system, this movement would eventually release the blockage that was the cause of my problems. But morphine would slow down the movement. I certainly gained a new appetite, a new appreciation for the wondrous smooth functioning of the human body, and for the blessing of Ashi I also gained new amazement that there are actually doctors who claim they do not believe in Hashem how can anyone with a heightened understanding of how the human body works not believe in a creator so the day today that I gave out 3,000 books for children to write Akar Satov two years ago I was in a hospital with a tube down my nose into my stomach probably the most painful two days of my life and Baruch Hashem just like L'Havgill, the story of the guy who the girl in Vietnam picked him up. And he knew that because she picked him up, that this girl that he was now saving would come to life. I realized that today HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave me the insight that today I would pick to to give out this book of Akar Satov. And that's a, a very big schus. And therefore, a person who lives in Akar Satov, And being able to see the good in anybody, in anything. To be able to look at a person, at a child who looks like they're dead. There's no flowers. There's no leaves. There's no... The parents are not having any enjoyment from this kid. The the school is not having any enjoyment. There's no nachas. Looks dead. To be able to look at that tree, because we are compared to trees in Shir Hashirim, We are called an etz basader. A human being is compared to a tree. You have to be able to look at that tree that has no leaves, no nachas. It looks terrible. It looks like, you know, someone chopped into it. It's got nose rings and piercings. And it looks really not well. You have to understand that a person is like a tree. Don't be fooled what you see outside when you walk there tonight. Because in four months from now, every one of those trees that are outside that look dead are going to have leaves. Every one of them. And every fruit tree that's in Muncie, in Viola, they have an orchard that looks dead right now, there's not even a leaf, in five months from now, there's gonna be beautiful apples on that tree. It's that karasatov. The, the ability to recognize the good. And that is why God gives us to the last second of life to do tshuva. Because a Hu recognizes the potential in every single one of us. Our job is to recognize the potential in every single one of us. And if we treat each other like Re'ehu, then what happened in France, and what's happening across the world, if the world sees that we treat each other like Re'ehu, that we love each other, and we share, and we you never know, talk bad about each other, and we're always there for each other, just like in Mithraim golos Mithraim, Moshe Hashem told Moshe Rabbeinu, you tell them in their ears that they need to treat each other that way, then the Egyptians will give them everything, if we treat each other that way, then the world will give us everything. And Mashiach will come. Thank you very much. Myrev Rishlahish. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by torahanytime.com.